Are you making the same mistakes I did? Putting a ton of time in for no results. But we hear you, and we're to help. You don't have to do this by yourself. You just gotta tune in and neck the blueprint. Let Dr. Todd show you how to do it. Don't got no time to waste, let's go. This is neck the blueprint, let's start the show. Oh. Good morning, Doc. I appreciate you jumping on, and I'll let you just roll um, with uh, an introduction. Tell, uh, tell obviously, everybody a little bit about yourself, which you shouldn't need a whole lot of introduction, but three, two, one, go. <laughs> well, the, the first thing that occurs to me is uh, just last month uh, was my 50th year seeing patients and practicing medicine. That's so, so awesome. Uh, Absolutely incredible. Time, I've uh, survived a couple of medical boards. I've survived thousands and thousands of patients, survived the FDA, whatever. Uh, I started off as an emergency room doc. And after about eight years of that, you know, sort of got tired of the hours and the stress and such. So I decided I'd, I'd just start doing general medicine. And at that point, I was very naive. Uh, anyhow, I got I, I actually thought that everything you needed to know about medicine, they taught you in medical school. I mean, how naive yeah. can you be to believe that? But anyhow, that's what I thought. Uh, so I just went out and hung up my shingle and started treating patients. And after about three months, I went to the head of the Department of Medicine there at the hospital I was working at. And I said, I don't know what's wrong with me. Maybe I don't know what I'm doing. But the, every patient I see, I'm giving them these medications. They never actually get well half the time they get sick from the medicine and teach, tell me what I'm doing wrong. So he said, okay. So we went over everything that I was doing. And the gist of it is he comes back and he says, yeah, you're doing okay. And I said, yeah, but nobody ever gets better. And then we have all these complications from the drugs. He says, yeah, well, that's the way it works. You know, we're not trying to actually make them better per se. You know, we're, we're just, you know, trying to give them some comfort and alleviate some of their symptoms, make their lives a little bit better. And if they get better, that's great. If they don't, that's great too. My eyes were opened at that point. And I thought, you know what? This, is, this isn't the way we used to do emergency medicine. Heck, if I did emergency medicine like this, guy would come home with a gunshot wound. And instead of like repairing the wound, I'd like give him a, a, an antidepressant and send them home. That, that's the, you know, we're not treating the cause. We're not treating the issues at hand. Uh, so anyhow, that's that was my eye opener, and that was back in the late seventies. And uh, since then, it's been a, a long travel. I've learned a whole lot of things that work. I've learned a whole lot of things that don't work that they don't teach us in medical school. So hopefully, we'll talk about some of those things today. Oh, I love that. Did you have anybody around you um, in your early years that? would question things like you did as far as like, why are we not getting to the problem? Or was this just you asking the questions and finding out that it wasn't, wasn't there? You know, I got so lucky because I was down in the San Francisco at that time. And mm -hmm. guess what? I fell, I fell into a monthly study group that met uh, every month in San Francisco, in the, uh, the, the San Francisco University of California, uh, library uh, right there on Parnassus Street, which has 18 billion books in there. And they go all the way back to the 1700s. Just amazing. And we would meet wow. there once a month. And, uh, you know, just we just wander around the bookshelves and then start pulling out stuff. And then for about an hour and a half, then we'd all come back and tell each other what we found. And uh, one of the members in that group was a guy that most people have heard of by the name of Linus Pauling. Another yes. member of that group was uh, Dick Cunyon, who maybe not a lot of people have heard about, but he was one of the big pioneers in, in alternative medicine in the early days. Julian Whitaker was in there, uh, Jonathan Wright with us periodically. So we had big guys. And I was yeah. sort of the neophyte at that time. Uh, and I just <laughs> got lucky in another medical school. Tell me about Linus Pauling. What was it like uh, just being in his face for a little while? I got yes. a great Linus Pauling story. You'll love this. So <laughs> Linus, Linus comes in one day, and of course, everybody stands in awe of the guy. So, you know, he can do whatever he wants. He can say whatever he wants. He's that guy. So he comes in, he says, you know what? I've been thinking about urine therapy. And we all start looking at each other. Urine therapy? What's that all about? 
So he says, yeah, I've been studying up on it, and I've got some ideas on it. In those days, we had a big old chalkboard. So he goes up to the chalkboard, and he starts writing on the chalkboard. And he says, I found out this, this, and this, and he's writing all this stuff on the chalkboard. And then he's drawn some kind of arrow or something. And he says, and then I found out this and this and this, and I reasoned that this would happen and so forth. And this talk goes on for like 45 minutes. And during the course of the, that he's like off on all these tangents. I'm thinking to myself, well, okay, he's getting pretty old. Maybe he's, you know, he's losing it a little bit or something. So the, <laughs> but the remarkable thing, one, and the thing that made me just like, my mouth, my jaw dropped open. It was at, after about 45, 50 minutes, all these pieces of information, he tied it together beautifully in about three minutes and, and made a serious case for all these things that, that his brain could like track all this stuff. It was astounding wow. to me at that time. I'll never forget it. <laughs> yeah, something to bring together and then uh, something that he implemented. Well, I don't know that he ever implemented it. Uh, years later, by the way, like 20 years later, I actually started to understand urine therapy and get into urine therapy. Uh, and yeah. and to, today, to a degree, I actually still use it. Um, wow. And, and it's really quite interesting. Uh, but at the time, it was like, whatever. I mean, I was like a, a, a kid going in to, and getting all this information I never heard before. So <laughs> it was like I was just whatever. I'm, I just shut up and li listen. Yeah, absorb nowadays would be considered conspiracy stuff, <laughs> right? Are you a natural healthcare provider that is tired of trading time for money? A chiropractor, naturopath, homeopathic doctor, even a medical doctor that's tired of the mainstream healthcare system and desire a blueprint to integrate the latest and greatest in science and natural approaches to clinical outcomes? Things like advanced nutritional protocols, IV therapies, IV nutritional therapies, like major autohemotherapy and ultraviolet blood irradiation, things like regenerative joint medicine, medical weight loss, or even stem cell therapies, then I have a blueprint for you. If you're a patient that's suffering with chronic disease, a degenerative joint, or a stuck metabolism that can't lose weight, then we have a protocol for you. Drop me a DM now for a one-on-one -on -one conversation to how we're helping doctors and patients be able to get the outcomes they desire, to transform their lives, to transform their bodies, to optimize their health with a blueprint today. You've been a pioneer in a lot of different things and some of the heat that you've taken with, with the medical board. Just briefly, how did you navigate some of that? Other than lawyers, I guess. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, it's a struggle between a truth and lies. It's a struggle between good and evil. It's a struggle between pharma and the rest of us. Uh, it's just a struggle. Fortunately, you know, we live in a pretty good country and I live in a pretty yeah. good state that, you know, gives us gives us a lot more freedom than there are in other areas of the world. That's for sure. You, you play the game, you're going to take your hits and that's the way it is. I did a presentation just the other night. We were talking about sports nutrition for our local group, but it was astounding that when I brought up a scenario of the big corporations owning most of it and um, Blackstock and Vanguard were the two major corporations that have um, the largest shares. And we're talking billions and billions of dollars in Apple, Microsoft, Google, but then it goes into J&J, &J, um, it goes into Moderna, it goes into Pfizer, and they literally have the majority of voting rights on those things and how, how it goes. But not a path that we need to go down, but um, um, definitely explains, the, you know, doing some things a little bit off the beaten path. I really would love to dive into um, your pioneering of anti-aging and what you've done along those lines, and of course, the mitochondrial health ending that okay. if you don't mind if you don't mind just going into that about 30 years ago i was riding my bike was one morning i was riding my bike to work and it's a long ride and you know you ride your bike and your mind goes all over the place sort of free floats around and i was thinking about the fact that as we get older we have less energy and i've been reading about that uh, you know where you can measure energy output these vbo2 testing and I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, you get older, you have less energy. You get older, you have less energy. And then somehow this thought came into my head. I said, what if the reason you get older is because you 
have less energy. What if the less energy part comes first and then the aging starts instead of the less energy part being a result of the aging process? You know, what if, what if I age and by the term aging, you know, I'm not just talking about how many birthdays you have. I'm talking about how you function. So, you know, as we get older, we don't function as well. Everybody knows that. So, but, mm -hmm. and, but my thought was, what, what if that's all determined preemptively by how much, how you produce energy? And because I'm thinking of a flashlight, you got a perfectly good flashlight and battery goes bad. Well, how, how good does that flashlight work? Don't work good. The problem is not the flashlight. The problem is the battery. Absolutely. So I saw, anyhow, I was just free floating that idea. So I got, I got to work and over the next few days, I, I started thinking, you know, I need to start measuring energy production in people because, because that'll tell me, you know, what's going on. And so I started uh, trying to figure out various ways to measure energy production. And there's a number of ways out there um, that have been used experimentally and in research and such like that. But the only one that really came to me that was viable in the way that I could use it without having to stick needles into people's arteries or get very complicated pieces of equipment was to look at uh, oxygen consumption. Because the point is this, all our energy production comes from oxygen. That's where it comes from. Yes. So oxygen is a high powered, a high energy molecule. It's kind of like gasoline is to a car, if you will. So you, we put oxygen into our systems. Our cells are able to extract the energy from oxygen. And then we can harness that energy, and that's what allows the, us to work, allows the cells to work and all the organs to function, is that energy that we get from oxygen. So pretty much uh, like 99 point something percent of all the oxygen that we take in simply goes to energy production, doesn't go anywhere else. So that's pretty simple then. If all the oxygen goes yeah. into energy production, all you need to do is measure how much oxygen a person is consuming and you can determine with some formulas, the formulas are all established and out there, but you can determine with these formulas how much energy they're producing. So I started doing it. So I went out and bought the, bought the equipment. It was kind of expensive at the time. My wife was like mm -hmm. not entirely happy with my project. Here. <laughs> but anyway, we bought this equipment and I'm starting measuring energy production on people. And I'm measuring uh, by measuring how much oxygen they're consuming. Now, these are devices, by the way, that have been used in medicine for like 50, 60 years, these devices. Uh, the 50, 60 years ago, they were big old huge devices that only like university centers could afford. Nowadays, because of some of the things they've had to do with NASA, they made tiny little ones that were all digital and really cool. So these are things that we could actually use in real practice. And they use them in hospitals. And they'll use them in hospitals to determine, you know, who, who needs a heart transplant or how bad your lungs are or things like that. And they also use them in Olympic training centers to determine, you know, if some guy comes in and says, I, you know, I want to be on the Olympic team, they'll run him through some of this oxygen consumption data. And based upon that, they'll say, you know, forget it. You're not, you're not in that quality. You don't stand a chance. Um, and then they'll use it as part of their training programs. So, uh, so here I get this equipment. I start, I start doing it on everybody, doing it on myself, doing my next door neighbor, my wife, you know, and patients that come mm -hmm. in, I'm just doing all this test. And finally I end up calling the guy up that sold me the equipment. And I said, there's something wrong with your equipment. And he says, what do you mean? I said, everybody that I'm testing, not everybody. He said, but like, I, I test some people and their oxygen consumption is horrible and they look completely normal. And uh, he, he says, well, it sounds like something's wrong with my equipment. I said, okay, fine. So he comes on out, he checks his equipment, he says, no, everything's good. And uh, so then we sat down, we started thinking, well, what could be wrong? And a, a couple of weeks later, it occurred to me, you know what's wrong? Is all the data, all the data that establishes what's normal and what you should see on this form of testing, all the data that's on that, has to do with two very disparate groups of people. One is Olympic quality athletes. There's lots of data on them. And two, yeah. people that need heart transplants. There's lots of data on them. But in terms of Joe Lunchbox, everyday abnormal people, there's no data on them. And so that's why nothing matched out. That's why we couldn't understand time uh. because nobody was acting actually measuring oxygen consumption on normal people. So I started measuring it on normal people. And what I found out pretty quickly was there's a whole lot of people out there 
that are asymptomatic. They feel good. In other words, they're getting around just fine. They don't have any complaints, have very poor oxygen consumption. Very poor, sometimes substantially poor. In some cases, we did a study in 204 on this, but and we found out, we did a, a group of people between the ages of 30 and 40 that were asymptomatic. There a total of 40 of them, men and women, asymptomatic between 30 and 40. And uh, something like 16, 17% of them had such poor oxygen consumption that they would have been eligible for disability. Wow. At that point, I said, you know what? Who's going to get sick? Who's going to get sick first? And that for, in that group of 40 people, who, who, who am I betting on is going to get cancer or diabetes or heart disease? I'm betting on the 16% because they can't make the energy to have their cells function properly. And they're doing this at an early age. And sooner or later, they're going to fall apart. And my, my goal, Todd, is even though I spend too much of my time treating sick people, my, my, really, my goal is that the doctors, for the most part, should never treat sick people. We should treat well people and make sure they never get sick. We should yes. establish proactive sorts of ways to deal with their patients so that on an ideal day, every patient I see would be somebody like that. They come and say, I don't have a problem. I feel good. I check their energy consumption. If their energy production is super good, I say, fine, you're in great shape. Just keep doing what you're doing. But if they don't do well on that test, then I say, you know what? You are now set up to have problems down the line. Next 5, 10, 20 years, you're going to have problems if we don't straighten this out. So let's straighten it out. So I get to be proactive and preemptive on this and go in there and straighten them out. And I'm not happy until I get a person. Every one of my patients needs to have really good energy production. And if they do that, the statistics are amazing. You just don't get sick. Nothing ever actually gets to you if you've got good energy production. Because the biggest difference between you and me when we're 20 years old and when we're 70 years old is energy production. That's the big difference. And that's what determines how well we function. So that's, that's the thing that just drives me and has driven me for many, many years is try to figure out if somebody has poor energy production, how do you maximize it? How do you, what's, what's going wrong? That's incredible. So you have an objective measure that puts puts people then based on uh, everything that you've gathered into different categories that you can uh, essentially predict yeah. their 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 outcomes long term or you know the the four horsemen as we say in in medicine of the the medical apocalypse that that are going to settle in cancer you know diabetes what what have you so. That's cool. I was close and I, and I, I'll say this, I'll say this on the podcast. That's fine. I want to get that. I want to get that. I know I talked to your wife briefly about um, learning your systems and stuff, but I'd love to, um, you know, take that and run with it too. Cause I agree if the body doesn't have that energy, we're seeing it break down all the time. So then your, your goal is to become clinically to um, improve that oxygen, oxygen consumption. Can you, can you walk and walk through that and expand basically what, what you're using some of the techniques to obviously get into mitochondrial enhancement, right? Yeah. So let me just first say before I forget, did produce a YouTube series on this. And okay. it's a series of five little vignettes that are about like 12 minutes each. And I walk through people through the whole version of the testing. And people can learn this if they go on to YouTube and plug in the search engine Schallenberger disease is optional. Schallenberger disease is optional. These vignettes will pop up and they can learn all about it. But basically what it amounts to is it's a, um, it's a device like a scuba mask mm -hmm. and you wear it and it's connected to an analyzer and the analyzer is analyzing two things. One, how much oxygen you're consuming and two, how much carbon dioxide you're producing. The amount of oxygen you're consuming is directly related to your mitochondrial function and your energy production. The amount of CO2 you're producing is directly related to you, both your diet, the status of your lungs, and the efficiency at which your cells generate energy. So it's how much energy and how efficient are they. So by getting those two readings, I can put them through a whole bunch of known algorithms. They're not mine. 
these are all published algorithms. I can put that data through a bunch of known algorithms and come up with uh, just a bunch of fascinating information where it's almost like if you were to come to my clinic and, and I would look at the results of this test on you, I almost don't even need to talk to you or see you to tell you what you need to do. Because I, I know so much about how your body works just from looking at that test. But we, we have you wow. come in, you sit down for about 10 minutes and just sitting quietly, we get all your resting metabolic data. And then we put you on a bicycle and we make you work harder and harder on this bicycle. And as you're working harder and harder, obviously you need more and more energy. You got to consume more and more oxygen. So the technicians seeing that oxygen consumption go up in a linear kind of fashion and seeing the CO2 production go up linear. Well, at some point, when you reach your maximum mitochondrial capacity, the CO2 takes a sharp upward turn. And the, and the O2 consumption stops and starts going down. Yep, opposite. And where that crosses, we measure that point. So that's your maximum energy production. We measure that point. And what then I do is I take that point and I compare it to a database of uh, healthy um, 40 year old men and women. And, and, you know, basically, I don't care how old my patients are. I want them to be as good as at least a 40 year old. But most of them, I tell you, if you take care of business, a lot of my patients are like, uh, like 80 years old. And they, they have the energy function of like a 32 year old guy. Wow. Yeah, it's not, it's not that hard to do. But if they, if, if they come back and, you know, there's a problem. A lot of the times, just from your history, looking at, you know, what medications they're on or, you know, what's going on in their life with their diet, like, et cetera, all the regular stuff everybody looks at, heavy metals, all that. By looking at all that, you can say, okay, you know, we got a problem here. Let's now dig and see if we can't find out how to solve this problem. And then we just keep doing it and we keep repeating the test until it's A1. Once it's A1, bingo, we're on the money. I'd imagine I mean some lifestyle changes. Uh, of course, um, you're pioneering on major autohemotherapy. Um, but walk walk through what that looks like for somebody. How often do you test then? Like, where's 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 the body going to turn around quickly? Or you know, is it a 30, 60, 90 day run? Or or what that looks like in your in your clinic? Yeah, um, ideally, in an ideal world. Everybody would get this test when they hit 40 years old. You know, okay. that should be in pretty good shape. But like I told you, we just did that with a group of people and like 15, 16% of them weren't okay, even at that age. So, but, so if they're not okay, then we're going to say, okay, you know, you think you're healthy, you feel good, but you got a problem. And that problem is going to mm-hmm. very insidiously take you down over the next five to 10 yeah. years. So let's correct that problem right now. Now, most of the time that I find that there's problems, most of the time it's correctable by getting them off uh, mitochondrial suppressant drugs. They, might, they may be on them. A lot, a lot of the dr- drugs that uh, are FDA approved are actually mitochondrial suppressants. Uh, statins would be an example. I was going to say statins. Drugs for- are. Yeah, statins are mitochondrial suppressants for a lot of people. So are antidepressants. Um, so, so are beta blockers. So are uh, a lot of the diabetes drugs. Now, everybody's and the med- so you, can give a, you can give a drug to one person and it won't suppress their energy production. And you give the same drug to another person and it will. That's because we're different. Wow. But so, so you know, we look, at, we look at things like that. But, you know, the, really the, the thing that comes through most of the time is they're not exercising. They're not sleeping. Yeah. They're not eating properly. And, and they feel okay. That's the problem. They're mm-hmm. setting the stage for disease, but they feel okay for the first 10 years of setting the stage for disease. And then they get the disease, and then, they, then they, maybe they don't figure out, well, why did I get sick all of a sudden? You didn't get sick all of a sudden. You've been yeah. getting sick for the last 10 years, and you didn't know it. So we want to find out early and stop that process so you don't have to go through all this nonsense like so many people have to when they get sick. Now now, now you're sick. Now we've got a whole other level of problem. 
Yes. Yes. And so um, back to that, I'm just curious. I mean, all, all the different me- medications probably have different mechanisms, but I know the statins, for instance, will, will wash out co- CoQ10, that, you know, the, the cofactor yeah. that helps build energy. Um, is there a common theme on all those meds and what it's doing, doing to the body or is it different mechanisms? Uh, there's lots of different mechanisms. Okay. So obviously dependent, but if if you have somebody that's on three or four different medications, it's a good indicator that that's all going on for sure. So, um, yeah, you know, it's an interesting thing. I like to point it out to my fellow colleagues whenever I can. And that is that Sir William Osler, and I don't know if everybody's heard of Sir William Osler, but he was the uh, first head of the Department of Medicine at Johns Hopkins University in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And he wrote a number of books, and he is considered uh, by all the medical schools as the father of modern medicine, Sir William Osler. And Mm -hmm. one of his quotes is, and this is a real quote, one of his quotes was from one of his magazines was that uh, the first duty of a physician is to take his patient off drugs. Wow. And I talked to my colleagues today, and I say, you know what? The old man is rolling over in his grave right now because you guys, I see patients with on 10, 15 drugs because of the stupid system, the way it works. They're seeing five different doctors and the doctors are all throwing drugs at them and they don't know what's going on. There is no possible way you can be on that collection of drugs and be healthy. That's basically impossible. You're not going to see that. So oh, one of sure. our first jobs is to, you know, look at all these drugs. And indeed, what's interesting is a lot of patients come in and say, look, I don't, I don't want to be on these drugs. That's why I'm here. Yes. Give me an alternative. In fact, I'll tell you a great case. This is a good case. I had a, a lady come in once and uh, I said, what are you doing? New patient. What are you doing here? Well, uh, oh, yeah. I said, well, what's your problem? She says, well, I'm fine. I don't have any problem. I said, well, why are you here? She says, well, three months ago, I felt like crap. And uh, I was tired, run down. I was achy all over, you know, whatever. I can't remember the exact details, but she's had big problems. She said, uh, it took me, it, it, you know, I couldn't get in to see you very quickly. So it, it was like three or four months out before I could see you. And, uh, and after about two months of waiting for you, I just got sick and tired. and I stopped all my medicines. I said, you stopped all your medicines? Yes, yeah. I said, how many were you on? She said, I was on six. I said, you stopped all your medicines without talking to your doctor or anything? She said, yeah. I said, well, what happened? She said, two weeks later, I felt great. And I still feel great, but I thought I'd come and see you anyway. <laughs> I just want to check. This is what our sure. system is doing. It's making us sick. Yes. It's crazy. Yeah, it's it's disastrous. I know it is for sure. Go down a couple of years of COVID and I know you were probably filling up with, with patients like we were and, and people seeking, you know, any which way that they could boost their immune system, things like that. And of course we, we were having people on that major auto chemotherapy with the pulse ox, you know, really low and we could increase. And um, do you want to talk to the role of, of ozone and, and the implications on the mitochondria a little bit? Yes, so for sure, uh, and uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to get too chemical. I don't want to get the, what do I say too complicated because there's very yeah. interesting biochemical pathways that have to do with this. But let's just say that ozone's oxygen. So everybody needs to know ozone's oxygen. It's not pollution. It's not some kind yes. of chemical. It's just a pure oxygen molecule. It happens to be an oxygen molecule that's pure, but way more powerful than the normal oxygen that doctors use, the kind that you breathe. Ozone, mm-hmm. you have to make it up pronto, right there on the spot. Uh, you, you take regular oxygen, run it through a generator box, and out the other end pops ozone. And you got to use it very quickly because it's a highly reactive form of oxygen, and it will disperse if you don't. Uh, so you, you manufacture right there on the step. When you put oxy- this form of oxygen into patients, it, it absolutely corrects a lot of things. I've written a whole book about this. There's very many things that yes. it corrects. But clearly, one of the things it corrects is the way that your cells are able to process oxygen. It makes your cells process oxygen better, which is why it helps all the COVID patients. Sure. Yeah, and, 
I don't know. I don't know if you heard of this study by Franzini that came out of Italy early on, by the way, early on. Uh, I want to say it was in 20, sometime in 20, like October of 20, um, early on in the COVID epidemic. Early on, Franzini published a paper. And I won't go through all the details of the paper, but the bottom line is this. He, he uh, took 50 patients who were big time sick, needed to be on respirators, big, big time sick. And he treated them with standard of care, which at that time was just fluids and steroids, and plus ozone therapy. So that's the only thing he different. And uh, he had uh, a 4% death rate, 4% death rate. In this country, with that same population of people, we have an 80% death rate. So when you look at the wow. deaths that were caused by COVID in the United States of America, it's because nobody listened to Franzini. They completely ignored that. Nobody went out and did anything except nothing. Yeah, and the it's treatment shocking was shocking when you realize how bad our system, how bad our public health system guided us. They completely shut down the one thing that could have saved lots and lots of lives. Yes, and it's and it was published. It wasn't like they didn't know. It's like they just didn't care or something. Ah, yeah, it was tragic. Crazy. Yeah one one of the one of the worst disasters that you know, and that'll that'll keep coming out more and more. So yeah, yeah, that's incredible though. That uh, you know when you have that data, but it seems to be um, you know that way in medicine and even even in my alternative world of chiropractic, it's just you know um, is some cutting cutting edge or even some older therapies that uh, um, that just don't get implemented um, by doctors. It's mm -hmm. just like they know they know their routine and that's all they they will do and not not uh, seek out some of these things like you have um, being a pioneer on that. So yeah, it's too bad. It's really too bad because. Yeah, it was the single biggest death rate that I've ever seen. And I've been in practice for like 20, 20, about 21 years now. And we were just, you know, going through charts and it was just, uh, it was outrageous. It was just, mm. it was horrible. I, I know what your goal is, as far as somebody comes in, you get them off of medication. That's absolutely phenomenal. It's got to be a first step. Um, get them, you know, moving, their body moving, things like that. Are there other ways that you're treating to, um, increase that oxygen um, capacity or the mitochondrial efficiency. And I guess I'm, I'll, I'll play, I'll play dumb on this. Do the mitochondria specifically, when you start increasing these things in the, um, uh, do they increase in number? Do they increase in efficiency normally, I guess? Yeah. Okay. So the bad news is that th there, there is a point of no return. If people wait too darn long, uh, we can't turn it around. Okay. We call it mitochondrial decay. They're past the point of a return. Uh, fortunately, most people aren't in that bag. People should know that. They can't keep going on this indefinitely and expect that any old time when they want to change their ways, they're going to get back, back on the saddle again. That doesn't always happen. Doc, is that something you can measure? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. you know, uh, I don't, you know, I, I always assume that we can do something because even if I sure. can't get him back to the 40 year old top of the health type thing, I can at least improve him. So, so we're, we're all going to do the same thing anyway, but, but I, it's just important people understand that, you know, one of the things we see in medicine and as a doctor, I see this all the time is people come and see me last. Yeah. They, they go and they get all the crappy therapy first. They get poisoned by the crappy therapy. And then when it's all gone to hell, they decide, you know what? Let's try something natural. That is so backwards. It's just backwards. You know, they should it see is. people like you and me first. And mm -hmm. then if we can't do it, if we can't help them or help them out, fine. We'll throw in some drugs. We'll, we'll get into the thing. But it's just they got it backwards. But any, anyway, to, and to get more into your question... You know, when they're really hurting with their energy production, uh, the thing, things that work out really well is intravenous ozone therapy, like you were just talking about, uh, heavy detoxification. So you can detoxify with colonics, and you can detoxify with colonics using ozone, which we do a lot. You can use light therapies, red light therapies, laser therapies. We can use intravenous vitamin C. 
We do a lot of chelation and detoxification of heavy metals. Um, and these are the kinds of interventions. And yeah, and then herbs. And then you say, okay, I want you to improve your energy production. But guess what? Energy production, think of a car. So, you know, the car is, the engine is not running right. In fact, that's actually a good analogy. So somebody says, somebody wants to go buy a car. And, and they want to know, how good is this car? Well, they could look at each individual spark plug. They could look at each individual tire. They could look at the, each individual carburetor or fuel injector. Well, all the, you know, they could look at each individual part. But hey, how about this? How about just take it out on the track and run it? If it's running at 150 miles an hour and taking the corners pretty good, eh, it's a pretty good car. I think we can say yeah. that. It passed the test. That's kind of what bioenergy testing is like. It tells me if the car is good. So, so if, if they come back with a poor test, now I got to dig. Now I got to find out well, what's missing in this. Because sometimes it could be like what you just alluded to, CoQ10. It could be they don't make enough CoQ10. It could be they don't make enough creatine uh, phosphate. It could be they don't make enough adenosine monophosphate. It could be they don't have enough thyroid. Thyroid controls the whole darn thing. It could be they don't mm -hmm. have enough of one of the other hormones like DHEA. How about magnesium, B vitamins? Yes. All of these uh, cofactors the body needs in order to be able to process that oxygen, just like the car engine needs a good fuel injector and good tires to be able to run around the track. So we need to look at all those little pieces and, you know, and figure it all out. And we're just not going to be happy until we see some significant improvement on, on the road test. Which makes some sense. It brings up a good point. I'm just curious. I mean, is it more volatile to bring in those oxygen sources if somebody is not able to process? Like you said, maybe they're deficient on magnesium or other cofactors that, that are in this process. When in the typical American way is like when I, I, if I'm unhealthy, maybe, and it's always, it was always fat driven, right? Weight driven. So I'm just going to go hop on a treadmill and start you know, sucking in oxygen and trying to make a shift in that. Um, but if in your experience, if you've seen if somebody is totally deficient nutrient wise and they start going into that, isn't that doesn't that seem to be a little bit harder on the body? You know, people have to remember to focus on the basics. Yes. Part of the yeah. part of the problem is sometimes somebody will like look at listen to a podcast or they'll pick up a magazine article, and 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 it'll say in there that you know this particular supplement is just fantastic and it fixes everything in the world. They need to understand. No, don't forget the dang supplement. If you're not getting good sleep, if you're in pain, if your body's all screwed up and all bent and twisted, if you're not exercising. If you're not eating properly, if you're a stress case, forget all that stuff. Clean those things up first. Hit the fundamentals first. Absolutely. Put some good gasoline yeah. in the car. Make sure the tires <laughs> yeah. are good. You know, get the basics down first before you start getting into, you know, high octane gasoline or something like that. Well, I hope to um, um, real soon start implementing some of these things um, as far as, as the bioenergy testing. Uh, you know, we we have a workforce, largest gold mines in the world where where we are here in Elko. You're just hitting on the key points that these gentlemen are, are and women um, are working these five, four swing shifts. So their body is just out of sleep. Even the days that they have off, their sleep's absolutely disrupted they're mechanically distorted in their frame because all of the um they lose a lot of energy bouncing up and down on these on these huge haul trucks or loaders and things like that so then you have this perfect storm and then of course their nutrition is just in the tank because they're just they're you know just throwing everything they can um you know just to keep awake and stay awake uh, for their shifts and not eating well so you know what are your what are your keystones we talk about nutrition we talk about you know obviously the the body's got to be uh, having good nutrients coming in uh, less mechanically distorted um, so you're putting people on a protocol of, of some high dose nutrients, uh, maybe some major auto hemotherapy in the, in the clinic, doing some home, um, you know, nutritional, um, protocols, things like that. Is that about right? Yeah. I mean, that's where we start. Uh, I'm assuming we're just talking about people that come in and they feel bad, but you know, sure. some people come in and they got multiple sclerosis or they got cancer or something. That's a whole nother level of, 
of, of thing that we're not necessarily discussing, but there's so many people before they get to that level, they just, you know, they notice, Hey, I don't feel so good. I'm aching and I'm having all these problems. And you know, what's that all about? Or interestingly enough, Todd, I get a, a fair amount of people that come in and, uh, and literally I'm looking at their intake sheet and, and it says, well, why are you here? And they say, I just want to, I'm healthy and I feel great. Now I just want to stay that way. I love those guys. Those, those are the best guys. Uh, they are. Because they're already on it. <laughs> yeah, it's an open door, and it open on their minds is this. They they've already gone down that pathway, yeah. and and um, that's that's where you get to play. <laughs> Doc, how we how much would you and and this you may have some some scientific numbers or just what your you know own um, gut or experience would would lend to this, but. How much of these disease states, I mean, you mentioned multiple sclerosis and, and um, you know, you got neurological, you got metabolic issues. Um, how much of this is related to genetics, mom and dad, or how much would you relate to more environmental, you know, I guess it's the nature versus nurture question. But, um, you know, with your ability to help, help a body get back on track um, compared to some genetic predict predisposition would you say um what would you lend to the to the majority of these diseases when people ask me about that in the way the response is it sort of doesn't matter in a way because you're not going to change your darn mm -hmm. genetics anyway so let's just deal with that but that sure. said uh there are two different things that i can quote one is a very large study that was conducted over the years and it looked at generational health and based upon, you know, what your great, 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 great grandmother and grandfather had, and they followed all these generations down to find out who got what and how often and all that. Based upon that particular study, uh, they, they accounted in general that genetics account for about 4% of the problem. The other thing that they do uh, is they do what we call um, identical twin studies. So yes. there are identical twins that were born, which have pretty close to the exact same genetics. And they, at, they were separated at birth for whatever reason. And they tracked down these guys. And they say, okay, uh, you got Parkinson's disease. And what's the chance that your twin on the other side of the country or wherever they were, in other words, in a different environment, what's the chance that that twin got um Parkinson's disease and uh, or whatever disease they're looking at and based upon those studies there are some problems and I can't recall exactly I know Parkinson's has about a 30 percent on identical twin studies about a 30 percent genetic you, you know if you, if you have mm -hmm. uh, genetics for Parkinson's there's a 30 percent chance you're going to get it just from genetics no matter what you do but there's a 70% chance you won't. So it does vary. But for the most part, genetics, according to identical twin studies, varies between 20 to about 25% chance of getting ill. So still overwhelmingly, uh, we're, we're still in control of whether we get sick or not to a large extent. And we can compensate for that. So let's say your identical twin did get Parkinson's. Knowing that, we can get very aggressive with protocols to prevent Parkinson's. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. To be able to identify that and say, Hey, yeah, but yeah. But on the flip side, yeah, 70, 70% chance that uh, um, your environment's going to, to trigger that, you know, um, so change and the I, environment. Yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And change your oxygen consumption capacity. <laughs> I mean, bottom line, just like you said, back to the basics. Um, how do you see um, some of the, well, it's not really new technology, but new access to VD. And then you mentioned even, you know, some of the genetic, maybe speak to NAD if do you if you use that and how you see that playing a role. Um, and then even into some new technologies, um, like CRISPR is just a crazy, you know, in my mind, a crazy, and, and it, it's a little, you get a little um, weary on the mRNA packets that they're going in. But I was reading how like sickle cell can be changed where they change the DNA snippets. Um, but also the potential of some of these things, obviously, you know, um, decreasing the, the, the methylation rates of, of DNA, if you will, those are big things. But where do you see, mm -hmm. what do you see as, 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 
again, go back to NAD if you want to speak to that, and then maybe some future technologies. And um, where do you see anti-aging medicine going in the next next uh, five to ten years? Yeah, great questions. So NAD is a molecule that's made from niacin, and NAD pretty much drives. There's other there's other molecules that are involved in this, but NAD is the big, big, big player. It, in so many ways, controls almost every aspect of how cells work. Um, now, you make NAD from the, in the mitochondria. That's where it's made. And yes. when you make NAD, the NAD then goes out of the mitochondria, and the cells use it to do all the things that the cells use. But when the NAD is used up, when it's used by the cells, it gets converted to NADH. NADH doesn't do a whole lot. It's got to go back into the mitochondria and get turned back into NAD. So that's how this thing works. So you want to have a yes. lot of NAD, not too much NADH. If your mitochondria aren't producing energy efficiently, you end up with less NAD to, and more NADH. So uh, ideally to fix that, you want to get your mitochondria up and running so that you'll make more NAD and uh, have less NADH because you'll be converting that to NAD. That said, uh, a number of years ago, I had a guy call me up. He was 40 years old at the time, and he's from Southern California, so he went all that close. And he called me up and said, look, I'm all messed up. I'm only 20 years old. Uh, I'm on disability. I can't do anything. I said, what's your problem? He says, I'm just tired and exhausted. I got no energy. I, I can't do anything. I've seen all the doctors. They say, you know, you're healthy. I can't find anything wrong with you. I said, well, okay, get on up here. It sounds like you got a, an energy problem. Let's, let's do some testing and see what we can come up with. He, he didn't show up right away, but he, about like six, eight months later, he shows up. He walks in the office, and before I see my patients, I always have the energy test. So I'm looking at his energy test, and it's awesome. It's good. Really? And I'm thinking, what? How can it be good? So the guy walks in the office, and I said, uh, well, okay, nice to meet you. How are you? He says, I'm great. I said, what do you mean you're great? You've been sick for 20 years. He says, well, on the way up here, I stopped by a clinic in San Luis Obispo, that deals with addictions. And in this clinic, they give you in intravenous infusions of NAD every day for 10 days. Wow. So on my way up, I had those infusions. He said, ever since I had those infusions, I feel like a million bucks. This Dude, that was, was what? like a miracle. Absolutely. Totally and guy around. The NAD uh, is totally turning this guy. He couldn't make any NAD because his mitochondria is so bad. So, so what shot. he did was he did the NAD that resuscitated his mitochondria, and now, even though he's not getting the NAD anymore, his mitochondria are making it. So it, it pushed him over the finish line. Oh, it's kind of like um, you know, a shock or a, uh, <laughs> a way to um, jumpstart the, yeah. the mitochondria. Yeah, that's exactly. That. So, uh, so that's so I use NAD a lot in, in this way. So when people are, are, are hurting and need to, need to get a jump start, bang, throw the NAD in there, and it's pretty darn good. Uh, the IV is probably the best. Uh, the uh, sub-Q or IM is okay, but sometimes it, you get a little edgy from it. The yeah. nasal spray turns out to be pretty good. Really? Um, but, yeah, that can really jump start you. Oh, wow. I'm just curious, how much are you doing at one point? Because I know NAD IVs can be a little bit uh, rough or, uh, you know, do you start at a lower dose and then kind of build up or? Yeah, you know, we we don't like to start any higher than 300 milligrams. Okay. And we do it very yeah. slowly, like 300 milligrams over three hours. Now sure. you could Once people get used to it, you can do 800 milligrams over one hour, but sure. you don't start right off there. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, I've experimented on myself, and it's a it's an interesting experience for sure. But, yeah. uh, all right. Well, the last you um, I, you you might have a problem, Todd, because you're probably in excellent shape, and you probably already have a bunch of NAD, and you might mm -hmm. be overdosing if a guy like you were to take it. I don't normally. Yeah. Give, in fact, I don't ever recall giving NAD to anybody that already has good energy production. Yeah, so that's a good point of really making sure that you understand where you're at, and that 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 bioenergy testing might uh, um, be the main the main thing that needs to be done.
And, and so that's a good point. What, what do you know happens if somebody is already efficient on that and you're flooding the system with NAD? Is that, that have detrimental effects or negative effects on, on the body? I assume it would, but since I never yeah. do it, I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> no, that's a good point. That's a good point. Well, where do you see um, where do you see anti-aging and, you know, technology kind of merging in the next five years? I mean, it, it seems with AI and everything and biotech, it just seems like exponentially things are getting faster and faster and stuff. But and I know you're you're up to speed along with this, even though after 50 years of of uh, being in, in practice, so to speak, practice. I always hate that word, but, <laughs> but yeah, in the next five years, what do you, um, what's your, where are you going with some of this stuff and what do you see coming down the pipe? Yeah. Well, that's interesting. You say that it's like, yeah, I've been doing this for 50 years, but guess what? I don't hardly know anything. I mean, it's all this <laughs> new stuff coming out and I feel like I haven't got out of first grade yet. I'm like in the second half of first grade. So yes. in a sense, it's kind of fun and challenging. The thing, I guess the thing that's got me most excited is probably two different things. One is peptides. Uh, the, yes. the new generation of available peptides, and they keep coming out, and we keep getting more information on peptides. And they're so, uh, they're, they're bioregulating peptides that are mostly, um, preventive in action, and then they have, uh, you know, regular peptides that, that can just turn cases around very quickly. Uh, and then the other thing that's got me very excited is all the SNPs testing. And at mm -hmm. first, all the, that, that's the, uh, for the audience, that's single nucleotide polymorphism testing, which is a great word if you want to practice saying it. But what it basically means is there's genetic differences. It's, it's a way to um, assess various genetic differences in people so that if you do the right lab and you know how to process that information, which, by the way, is not so easy, but yes. uh, then you can get a pretty good heads up on, what's the genetic difference between this person and that and how should I kind of move through that to better suit them? So peptides and, and these genetic tests, I think right now they're, I think they just show an incredible amount of potential and I'm still busy trying to, trying to keep up with the new stuff that comes out. To harness it and see, see which way to go. I love yeah. it. Well, Doc, it, it has been a, it's been an honor and a, and a privilege. I, I know you're a very, very busy man, and uh, I appreciate you jumping on. I'm going to see you here soon. We'll just, uh, I'll, I'll try to coordinate and get in. I'd love to just hang out in your environment for, for a day or two, so I can I can fly down there yeah, real pop, quick. <laughs> pop, down, pop down, Todd. Uh, we'll do a bioenergy test on you, and you'll run yes. you through that. And uh, I think you'll find it very interesting. Yeah, and maybe um, it's something we uh, I definitely am interested in being able to um, to bottle that up, take that back home, and start doing yeah. it for our local community that'd be, too. That'd so. be great. You know, I look okay. forward to a time when people have access. It's not too many people have access to this easily now. You normally have to travel, uh, which is worth it, by the way. If you're out there listening to yeah. me and you're thinking my local doc doesn't have this capability, get on an airplane or get in your car and go get it done. It's it's that important. And you yes. only have to do it typically once every six to 12 months initially. And then once you get in great shape, you just do it like every two years just to kind of monitor. Oh, phenomenal. Phenomenal. Well, I appreciate you and all you've done for you, um, you know, for people in the, in, in, the, in the natural health world and kind of bucking the system. We are all uh, in, in debt to you and, uh, um, you know, we'll all benefit for years to come. So. Yeah.